right, hello, 501 uh, educational technology class. Um, and for anyone who might be listening in the world, I guess it's open to the whole world. I don't know how many people <laughs> are listening to this. Um, but my name is Dominic Minicello. I'm Georgia Marjotis. And I'm Chris Tofton. And uh, for our topic for the podcast this week, it was the second module on social media. This one dealt more with education, though, specifically. And uh, we are titling it Social Media in Education, Boon or Bane. Um, there was one podcast we listened to, and then two more kind of scholarly articles um, we looked at. So we'll just jump right in then uh, with some thoughts on the podcast. Um, Georgia, do you want to start us off? Sure. Uh, I thought this was a very interesting podcast to listen to. I enjoyed listening to the history um, and the background as to why the Telegraph was created, the whole story um, about the need for messages to be delivered more quickly. And I, th it, reminded me a lot about our podcast from last week with the novel and the pushback uh, that the Telegraph faced at, just like the novel did. Uh, and I believe that the point that I was able to connect to mostly was the negative views that people held against Telegraphs due to the misinformation, the hoaxes, the loss of privacy, and the corruption of mor morality that they believed that telegraphs would bring, uh, specifically in girls. They believed that if they were to work in these centers where they would be handling telegraphs with other males, there would be uh, a lot of corruption of morality. And I think that um, is very relevant to today. If you think about how much we discuss how social media could be corrupting our morals nowadays with everything we see. Yeah, and uh, seems to be the theme on this, the whole title of the Pessimist Archive podcast mm -hmm. is the kind of panic people have with the introduction of new technology. They're always pretty slanted in the other direction, um, but I think that's a good thing since a lot of people do have that knee-jerk reaction to see new technology as a threat. Um, what did you think, uh, Chris? Any specific thoughts on the podcast? I thought it was a, when I was first listening to it, I don't know what my expectation was, but when they were talking about the guy who was like Samuel Morris, seemed to be, you know, very critical of the Telegraph. But he seemed to get involved after, like, when he received contact of his wife being sick, and then the next day his wife died. He seemed to be very involved with the Telegraph on top of the inventor. And they said that basically he, you know, traveled. He did a lot of work with the the back end of of communications and met a lot of resistance. I mean, they even talked about him going to Congress and trying to get money to get this mm -hmm. started. And they were mentioning that the congressman said, you know, that they weren't even going to vote for it because they didn't want to be responsible for the corruption that it could cause in society. So it was actually a very, seemed to be a big social issue based on that 
I guess you would call that the Victorian time. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was pretty, I mean, I thought that was pretty amazing that they were, they would go to that level to just not be, have their name attached to it. Yeah. Um, And it's hard to put yourself in those shoes, uh, how revolutionary an idea it is that might, seems beyond belief when you go from delivering something physically via horse to sending messages over hundreds of miles in just uh, less than a minute or a couple minutes across the ocean. Um, yeah, I uh, had similar thoughts to you too. I think it's um, uh, very important that you mentioned that, that big transition from delivering something physically to delivering it, um, mm. you know, via telegraph and how big that must have been for the time. Um, and that's something I also uh, thought about a lot. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And one of the biggest arguments that I definitely concurred with was that of technology not creating human actions, but actually unlocking them. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. The potential has always been within us. It's just a matter of does the technology allow for it once we figure it out. Um, Cool. So uh, and unless anyone has any further thoughts on the podcast, I figure we get to the first reading. Yeah, just one connection I wanted to make with that as well is, I don't know if you heard in the podcast, they didn't get really specific into it, just a connection to one of our previous, how people borrow technology to create other technology, how they talked about the electromagnet and how he borrowed that technology and uh, was that helped him implement that into the wiring of it. That was just something I wanted to make a connection mm. that all the technology wasn't just him. It was, he did borrow technology from other people who had created things before him. So I think that also, I don't know if that constituted more fear of people them taking it because they, that technology and that's why they didn't understand it. So. I think that's a great point, how you mentioned that technology comes from technology, and that goes hand in hand with the idea that our voices get get louder with each technological uh, creation. Uh, Our voices get louder with telegraphs, then with telephones, then with the internet. Um, Now we have 5G, for example. And again, we see this backlash, but also this um excitement so you still have both sides no matter the medium you still have the pros and the cons and you have both sides with both fear as well as excitement yeah totally and it feels whatever the change is it feels revolutionary to and overwhelming to that specific generation Mm -hmm. like i know each time it's like well this is unprecedented but this podcast does show you that um it always feels unprecedented because it is to every generation that has to uh, write out the changes, make the uh, most of the changes. And I think that ties excellently with our uh, readings, which we will get into right now, um, which discuss incorporating social media in education. Uh, the reason that I state that is because we're, we're so used to at least our teachers were so used to teaching with the book and the blackboard. And mm-hmm. now we see this, um, this development 
we have whiteboards now, we have electronic smart boards in the classroom, we have iPads, we have laptops for students to use. And people took a while to get used to that. And now we have this new movement, which is to incorporate social media in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting to see will there again be backlash and excitement on both sides. Yeah. And with the in the first reading, I've got a bunch of kind of scattered ideas here, but one you reminded me of is this issue where sometimes we can, or especially uh, teachers or administrators can view the flashiness of a technology as, as long as we incorporate that somehow, it's good because it keeps us ahead of the curve in terms of uh, getting rusty with our technical skills. But I think, I can't speak for everyone, but you do have the experience most people do of when a piece of technology is introduced in a clunky way or the software has not been designed well enough, it can have the opposite effect because ultimately the goal should be the quality of the learning happening. The technology is just the mediator that allows that. Sometimes you have this thing where there's a term, the map is not the territory. And I'd heard it through listening to this guy, Robert Anton Wilson talk, but apparently it's traced to scientist Alfred Korbisky. But it's this kind of thing where the technology sometimes can be the map, but the territory is what you're using the technology to get to. And sometimes you can get that backwards. Um, And Chris, I know maybe with your teaching job, I remember when I was uh, teaching, I was a middle school teacher for the last seven years before I moved to New York. And you can get an apathy with teachers when a platform is introduced and then you take the time to learn all its quirks and maybe it's not that well-designed software-wise. And then the next year, the admin says, we're going to move in another direction and use this sort of learned thing. And then the next time it keeps rolling. So you can get kind of cynical teachers that say, I'm not going to bother learning this thing because I know it's going to be not used next year. Now I know someone like you, Chris, may love that stuff since you like diving into the details of technology. Uh, For me, it's more burdensome and stressful. Uh, but I guess that depends. Uh, yeah. As long as you have a plan, like, but I see, well, I was even looking at the Twitter reading or like the Greenhow or the Lewin reading about social media. I wasn't big into social media when I started. It didn't thrill me because I was there when they first released it. I mean, I remember when Google was released. That's how <clears> long <throat> I've been teaching. I was actually at the Javits Center when they turned it on. So I remember that day and I was like, you know, I wish I had like 25 bucks to invest in it, knowing how big it was going to (laughs) be. So that's kind of how, like even, like even taking this class is, they didn't have these type of tech classes when we were going to school. They had like special education or they had uh, English or art or, and I was always wondering how to combine a degree 
which they wouldn't let you do that then. They let you do it now. They let you make your own degree path. Where where I have a actually one of my interns became a communications major, and then he incorporated puppeteering in it. I don't know if you saw him. He was in Newsday. Um, he works for Jim Henson now. He used to work for me making uh, educational videos for the Delphi University. So that's right. like, I never knew what making educational videos were until we came up with a model of just how they're coming up with a model for social media. Like, how do you make social media videos? Or how do you make podcasts? Or how do you make educational videos? There was no book. So mm -hmm. basically, you had to come up with some of the previous things people have done, like uh, how to write a script for a movie or what to say when you're actually on the, or what expression you, you want to do to get people to learn. Are they hearing what you're saying? And I think that has a lot to do with what we're also working about with social media is even mm -hmm. people like myself in technology. It took me a long time to warm up to it because I didn't really trust the public part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because my fear is the kids being on social media and being exposed and knowing yeah. I'm the one who has nightmares at night about my son being online <laughs> because I know what can happen because people usually call me when that happens. Yeah, no doubt. Like a lot yeah. of the stuff that we talked about last week that like life is showing stuff. And it seemed like they touch on that um, in this first reading, but was kind of surprisingly positive because I guess the reading, it's like they had one big study they focused on in Europe and then one in the U.S. where they use this part of Facebook, I guess, called Hot Dish. Mm -hmm. But one thing I took from both, and you can, guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but they found that the students were actually pretty disciplined or content-oriented using this stuff instead of immediately going to social aspects of it or other non-related distractions, which was uh, kind of reassuring uh, given the age level they were dealing with. I think that that's something that the teacher themselves also has to decide. Um, I think that's a personal decision as to how comfortable are you with your technological skills? Um, how competent and capable do you feel um, that you can control students or at least discipline them, discipline them and uh, make sure that they're doing what they should be doing. Because mm -hmm. I think we've all seen how um, even regardless of social media, when there's a teacher in the classroom that does not have adequate knowledge of their students and their behaviors, it's very easy for them to lose control. It's very easy for students to take the other hand, take control of the classroom, and sort of um, the teacher loses that classroom management. So just the, I believe that the same way that the teacher has to be uh, contr in control of their students and the classroom environment, the same way the teacher has to be in control of how their students use social media in the classroom. Um, and in order to do that, you definitely have to make sure that your own digital literacy skills and your skills in using social media are up to date mm. so that yeah. you can guide your students. I don't, basically, that classroom management, I don't know when you were younger, if you ever had a teacher tell you to be in charge of the class and when the class, when they left, that how 
the ruckus would start or people would start doing other things or just an example of what can happen if there's no structure about them learning social media. I think if yeah. you give them structure, they're going to – kids like structure. I never realized that when I was younger, but they – if you're given the rules, most of the time you'll follow them. Yeah, and that kind of ties back to the age-old question of like a, uh, the two ends of the spectrum of teacher-led, very didactic sort of style versus a constructive – constructivist approach or they even in this first reading talk about connectedness or connectivist. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's always a striking a balance uh, between the creative chaos and innovation and the necessary order and structure that the uh, kids need. I think it's also worth mentioning how in the, um, in the article, in the journal article, they stated that students were less willing to appropriate social media as a formal learning tool, and they instead preferred it for course-related communication or using it for socializing and non-academic purposes. So mm -hmm. I think it's interesting, and we have to make that distinction. Just like I was saying, uh, having knowledge of your students and what works for them and what doesn't work for them, I don't think social media is a one-size-fits-all one type of thing. So yes, it could be used to encourage communication between students and the teacher and between students themselves. Mm -hmm. But if it can't be used successfully as a formal learning tool in your classroom, I think that maybe you can instead just use it for communicating with your students. Um, it, I don't think we should try to force something if it doesn't work for that particular group. Yeah. Uh, definitely. And it kind of seems to be getting at that thing I mentioned where you have to start with the need and then the technology to fulfill that need instead of shoehorning any kind of technology in just because uh, it exists as such. Uh, and that brings up like Twitter mm -hmm. itself is kind of an interesting uh, lens to look at this through and was the, I guess the entire subject of the last reading. Um, which I think we can all relate to considering that for our course as well. Um, we send out at least two tweets per week. We communicate with our classmates on there. Um, I think that's something that personally I was able to relate to very easily, uh, because we have that experience doing mm -hmm. that for this class and it helped me understand the findings from some of the uh, studies. For example, how in one of the studies, every participant in the classroom was required to post at least once a week on Twitter. And in, for the results, they found that the student's attitude changed from discomfort to fun. Yeah. And that's something I can definitely relate to. I'm new to Twitter. I only made my account for this class and definitely in the beginning, I was a little uncomfortable using it. Um, but the, it's something that I definitely use even for my own pleasure now out, outside of class. Yeah, uh, I agree. And that with this reading, since it was pretty dense to start off, um, it was uh, more interesting the deeper I got into it because it was filled with these kind of facts about these 51 studies, um, especially in the appendix, the last table they have, it was 
fun reading through just these little one or two points and how uh, generally it was positively reviewed by the students involved. Even if, like you said, Georgia, they were intimidated at first by the technology or just the being unfamiliar with it, they warmed up to it eventually. And yeah, kind of a similar thing with me, as you said, like I've never used Twitter prior to the class and I find myself taking more enjoyment in the uniqueness of each tweet rather than like having to think that one tweet has to encompass so much, like mm -hmm. knowing that it's an ongoing thread, I can be less picky and just throw out different ideas. Um, but Chris, prior to this class, have you made great use of Twitter either just personally or through work stuff? I first started with Twitter. I wasn't, I didn't really investigate it as much. I did it. I have a, a private business that I do. Well, I ended up doing marketing for people in education, websites, that type of stuff. So I used to try to think, well, how am I going to use social media to advertise people or to advertise their classes or to get people to be engaged? And I learned a lot more in this class about Twitter than I previously knew. I knew you could build a, you know, you can build a brand just like you can in business and you can build a following. But I like the way that this class makes you think about what like what in the reading applies not only to yourself but to to society but also our classmates and our it, it really encompasses a lot and it tries to make you think like what what do i need like what am i going to say that people are really going to hear and respond to i actually made one successful post recently about an experience i had in school about being the you know when they pick on other kids or they shame them hmm. and it like brought me back to that, that grade school time. And I got a lot of positive feedback actually from other classmates and how they mm -hmm. agreed and had similar experiences, which I thought, you know, now identifying with, you know, kids, teens and being able to do that just makes you a more valuable teacher. Cause you're still, those things are still happening. They're just happening with technology involved. Yeah. So you can understand their, identity crisis that they may have if you're a teacher because just because you're a teacher you're not just teaching content you have to deal with the social a lot too mm -hmm. they don't they, they train you somewhat about classroom management but they don't train you how to i mean they give you psychology when you become a teacher but you're not really a psychologist to deal with those emotional and which yeah. can be very emotional because it really attacks their identity as and they think their life's over so mm -hmm. That's definitely true, Chris. And I, I remember that tweet that you're talking about. And um, I was one of those who responded to you because I thought that was a really great input that you gave us on your experience with public shaming and your opinion on it. Um, and the reason that I think that's definitely very important is because, like you said, we're teaching the whole child. And especially nowadays that we have so many factors um, that can affect our students and social media being one of them that's definitely something we have to take into consideration um and if we as teachers can incorporate social media in a positive meaningful way in a way that counteracts the negative aspects of it i think that it should definitely be used that way then like they say if you can't beat them 
join them, but in a way that you're using it to your advantage. Yeah. And kind of thinking back last week to the readings, readings, readings. Yeah. Like last week they're talking about the, the managing of your different media identities and how the interesting question is like, okay, if you do want to bring social media into the classroom is, are you going to use it in such a way that the students mix their worlds or will there be like a social media for education personality that the kid builds up through certain platforms and apps? And then I think, I think no matter what, they'll always be, kids need their own separate space where we don't, you, there shouldn't be education uh, infiltrating every mode of their digital lives. Um, but yeah, I think that's, it's hard to predict until you're in the nitty gritty of how that unfolds in a classroom, kind of kid by kid, like what the mix is. So oh, yeah, yeah. I think that, I think that's why they came up with hot dish. This, I don't know uh, if you looked in that article, it's a greenhouse and Lewin. Mm -hmm. I think the hot dish was program, a special program they gave them that connects that is connected to their Facebook. That's, educational driven like you're saying like i agree that's what i think helps to keep it because they're going on facebook and then they're going at that hot dish and mm -hmm. they said that they would check the hot dish a lot it yeah. kind of motivated them to still be thinking about uh engaging with their peers because i think yeah didn't they focus on like environmental type improvements as well in the and yeah. what they were doing with social media I, that's I was trying to I reread it just to check that that was a focus, but I think they put that hot dish in there so that it would kept the kids based on whatever age group they were separate so that it wouldn't be i guess publicly ridiculed or and then yeah. actually classes that weren't involved, which is an unexpected event they had in this, which I thought was cool, is that other classes just happened to see it because they were on that hot dish. And they gave them like so much feedback about it. They didn't even realize that was being created and that they were getting feedback, the students and the teachers. So that was something that was unexpected to happen by using social media that they may never have experienced if it wasn't part of it. Mm -hmm. That's definitely something that we have to be cognitive, cognitively aware of. Um, we have to expect the unexpected. I think especially when trying something so new in the classroom. Uh, I like how Dominic brought up the issue of what do we do with the identity management issue? Um, will we allow students to there as well develop these separate identities or will they be sort of meshing it up with the one that they already have? Um, and along with that, there are so many other concerns that will be raised. It, as this is being more and more incorporated in the classroom that we just have to take one step at a time and figure out it won't be a perfect solution from the beginning i don't think it'll be a perfect application of social media from the very first attempt we make in the classroom mm -hmm. but practice makes perfect and of course that doesn't mean that you'll find the one perfect format or one perfect delivery method but 
the more we do this in the classroom, the better we'll get at it. And every year you do have to be flexible every year with every new group of students, with every new grade that you teach. I think you're going to, we will as educators have to be prepared to be flexible and look into new um, methods. Yeah. People are getting a crash course on that in Zoom now with remote learning uh, <laughs> teachers that, yeah, had, didn't, yeah, and you're, <laughs> you're being utilized very heavily, I would guess, Chris, for your... Uh, uh, I actually had to write our professor a, uh, an email because I was being so inundated by, you know, we have such a variety of, uh, of learners working at the university, meaning, I mean, I always look, try to look at it in a positive way. I mean, we have teachers that are, that are young and teachers that are in their senior, meaning mm -hmm. they have a lot of experience in, in teaching and engaging students, but they never done it with technology because I don't think this has happened since, I, they said, almost a, a century. Mm -hmm. So they, yeah. it's never the expectation. So, I mean, a lot of times when... I mean, I make videos and I've been dispersing them, you know, not that I don't have to teach them. We still teach them, but we give them the videos so they can rehearse it or try to remember it. Cause you know, if someone tells you something one time, it's not always going to stick because it depends on the type of learner they are. So that's why I try to look at, I mean, I used to be in charge of educating the whole university, students, staff, faculty, and you always got to look at it in a way that, I mean, when you're talking about a teenager versus a, you know, a, for someone that's been exper an experienced learner, which, you know, maybe in their senior, maybe getting close to the end of their career, or are they mm -hmm. really going to want to learn it? But they really have to. So you have to think about how they learned back then and try to bring it to their level now. Mm -hmm. So, like, did they read about it? Did they have have visuals how these i mean they were very you know textbook oriented or or blackboard oriented or however they learned mm -hmm. so it's like the multimodal learning it's ever-changing so definitely yeah for sure well, i think we did a thorough job discussing our readings from this week so it looks like uh we all appreciate both sides of social media in education and that there's not a total pro or con uh, side. I think the important thing is that we're all open to the possibilities and whether you are or not, it's coming, it's here. Um, and it's part of these kids' lives. So it's just a question of how uh, we best incorporate that. So thank you all for listening. Uh, I'm Dominic. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, everyone. Gentlemen, it was a pleasure speaking with both of you. And tune in to our podcast. We hope you enjoy. Bye from Georgia. And signing off, Chris Austin. Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions, feel free to let us know. And signing off. <laughs> All right. Thanks, George and Chris.